This is the multi-sport podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, mountain bikers, and basically every fitness enthusiast there is out there. Whatever your event and whatever your distance, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. Welcome to this December 2015 edition of the Coach Joe Beer Smartcast. Supported by No Pin, suppliers of cycling running, duathlon, clothing, number attachment systems, and skin suits, velotoes, overshoes, club clothing, visit nopins.com. And SouthworkRacing.co.uk for all your biking needs with great brands such as Scott, Rota, Fast Forward, GoPro, Lightweight, Garmin, and Martin could go on all day about that. Visit SouthworkRacing.co.uk. I am Coach Joe Beer and I'm joined once again... Nobody else has volunteered by Whoa. Martin Crocker of Southfoot Racing at Southfoot Racing. At Southfoot Racing. We are here. In Southfoot Racing's time. We are. <laughs> no, we're not. No, no, we're not. Don't say that. And no, no. Uh, thank we you. Thank you very much. We are here by virtue of Henry, our sound engineer expert, who has sorted all of our equipment into just the most amazing studio with laptops and mixing desks and mics. I have so got photos of that. We have well, got yeah. photos of that. So... Where are we at? Where are we at? December. Uh, it's December, so um, judging by the weather, if uh, you live down in, well, I should say Devon, as far as Devon, it's been pretty miserable for the last three weeks, I reckon. Oh, well, we've just... had a, we had a dry morning this morning. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, this is not a weather report. You it's want, not. You want to hear but... about how to be training smarter, how to be on the cutting edge. You don't want Martin giving his weather report by looking out the window. No, this is true. It's true. What's, so, the, what's the news on the grapevine then? Um, and should I say on the graphene line? Mm-hmm. Um, well, just a few new bits and bobs. So things like uh, graphene tyres. Or tyres so, with graphene. Or tyres with graphene, I should yes. say. So uh, apparently, apparently someone described it as the new carbon fibre. Really? Yeah, which, which I thought was quite a... Uh, Quite a bold statement. So um, the information we have at the minute is good but limited, and yeah. the products are, are, uh, are soon to be here in about ten days, I think. So, so that's tyres uh, from Victoria. Yes. And is that wheels as well soon? Uh, the wheels, I don't think are going to be. I think it'll probably be New Year. Okay. The wheels. Okay. So. And do they use graphene in that as well? Yes. Yeah, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. So. Um, and even you know, um, as far as graphene goes with tyres making you uh, faster, better grip, a little bit strong or more resilient, I should say. According to their data, though, done by somebody independent, and that will obviously be done subsequently by somebody else independent, you're looking at uh, at probably racing speeds, about two and a half watts a tyre. Yeah, so they reckon, don't they? So, hey, that's taking maybe um, a cyclist's, you know... 35 40 watts on a fairly smooth surface and dropping that down you know by um a, a chunk five watts is five watts if you're going to be buying your tires and um, i mean it's not only just uh road but uh, we've gone down the route well. of tires again oh, i know you did that on purpose <laughs> it's your fetish i set of tires. you up no i just set you up there's somebody going 
Dear sir, dear I'm, sir, I am writing. A, I'm writing a strongly worded email to uh, to complain about, about your uh, hey, fascination. Story. And I say, don't shoot the messenger. We want you to be out there doing doing your best, training your best, and getting the best race. And if there's something that uh, well, I'm not being paid. You're not being paid by um, Victoria to put uh, this out there. But I just think it's a it's a public service. It's public, and service. and it means yeah. that uh, people will start to think perhaps when they put their uh, thinking hat on, oh, I've got to get new tyres or tubs, or I'm getting new wheels, what should I put on then for the coming year? They'll go, oh, there's been a little bit of a nudge forward. And it does happen. I think you can only take the reference point of the GP4000s and look what happened to those over you know, 10 years ago. It was a it was a cooking oil tyre that you just went out on and it was standard. And now it's a pretty good tyre. Yeah. So things move on and we just wanted to put that out there Graphene. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's all on, on, on the website if you wanted to go to victoria.com. Yeah, there's a catalogue and stuff. I did a little bit of reading. But it'd be good to see somebody else, uh, as with all these things, test it to find out where it falls in the, um, the kind of top five or ten top of tyres. Yeah. Um, some are in 23, some are 23, 25 and 28, the clincher versions. And just another option. And I think if you if you look at these things, sometimes that particular substance will, uh, like Kevlar, when it first came in the beads of the tyres. I mean, carbon years ago when Giant started coming out with their first bikes. You know, the starting bits only just open up more and more possibilities. And when this stuff, graphene, I think, is one of those substances that, based on other podcasts and other places that I'd already heard about it it is going to be something that is all over your bike before you know it and it will change the way certain things work yeah i, I mean like i said I, i've done a short amount of reading uh on the stuff so uh but so far it all looks pretty good so i think the first tires have come in uh will be with us in eight days time okay okay um, uh, keep so your ears peeled keep your ears peeled yes tire, as they say tire facts. so in terms of uh the Next thing, I was going to do something which I think is pertinent at the moment, which is via 220 magazine, they put out a short Q&A uh, that I'd done for them and they put it on their website and it related to should you race when you got a cold? And it's just my input on it, I think it's... Okay, hang on. What do you do when you have a cold? I get really Sorry. miserable and irritated <laughs> and I really get on people's nerves because I hate not being able to, I mean, most, most things, no, not most colds, but when you get that one that I had one about a month ago when I was barely getting my feet up the stairs one after another and was like, um, you know, with, with, with three kids and with a full on day every day, you can't do it. And you're trying as much as you can. It feels like you've got concrete boots on. And of course you get really irritated. Eventually you go through it, the fog disappears and you're back up to normal but most of the time you just like sniff and get on with it yeah but i'm hesitant ever to think hmm shall i shall i risk going out if if he starts coming out of your your nose and you're bringing up a severe amount of gunk and you feel you know really wheezy or something the previous errors of doing stuff like uh you know oh i know i won't get the you know i won't get the uh the taxi home i'll run home from the uh 
rain, you know, train station, yeah. no, big error, because the next day you're barely able to get up. So I, I, I think err on the side of caution, but only when you feel as though you are really, really, really under par. Um, there's not many instances where a lot of athletes are racing a lot in the winter, but I would argue that some of the time there's sessions in the winter that was hard as some of the races. When you look at heart rate data from people and they call it, you know, a, a winter training session, and then you look at a race, you're like, physiologically, you've put yourself through as much in that session as you would in a race. You just don't think that you are. And add to that that it might be one of the longest sessions that they do. Physiologically, they might be um, low. I don't think people are bouncing off the walls with energy. They might feel okay, but this is our low ebb. So I think this time of year, you are on the side of caution. Just, you know, not at every instance, but you just play it by ear. Is it absolutely critical to do this session? If you're barely able to do your daily functions and you can't think straight at work should you really be thinking oh i suppose i still better go and do my spin class or my track workout i think look at what you're going to get from what you're about to do and if it's a race and you're feeling like pants unless you'll never get the opportunity ever again to do that very significant event then bin it you know bin the park run if you really barely can get yourself out the front door but don't get used to just saying, oh, it was a little bit wet outside, so I didn't go. Or, you know, I, I felt as it might not be a good day to train, so I didn't do it. I mean, you've got to be ill to get illness in the way of you, but don't think that the best people charge on regardless. Because what came out as a result of that Sorry, Q&A carry on. Yeah, yeah. was people starting, and I said, I sort of put it out through uh, Twitter and Facebook and sort of said, what do, you know, what do people, what's people's experience? And there's some really good ones. There's one from uh, Christine Bertram. And she said, I collapsed in a championship race while in the lead. Only had sniffles. The next day I had a fever and flu. Was out for four weeks and had mandatory checkups at sports science every three months for a year to check my body in brackets heart was okay. It's very simple. Don't. Okay. Somebody else said, um, uh, Dawn Denise said, um, I keep trying, uh, I kept trying to bike and go to work with a bug. Turned into a bad chest infection and hospital. Six weeks on the bench. Should have just rested initially, but was set on having a good year. I ruined it myself. Now I'm wiser. Uh, somebody else said, um, uh, a chap, Pete Weir, who I've known for years, who's a, um, a time trialist. Um, got a great sense of humour and he said uh, wouldn't dream of racing while ill time to put feet up and put your ego in the shed and I just thought it was brilliant it's absolutely great uh, another guy Gordon Bell said I had man flu went swimming when I thought it'd gone uh, it hadn't throat infection three weeks training destroyed as I couldn't and shouldn't have been training um, it's properly dangerous especially when we all push ourselves in training very hard and due to fitness, probably don't realise or feel ill until too late. And there's one final one. Uh, Teresa Roberts said, I learned the hard way and ended up taking a year out because I physically could not train back to normal now. And, and I think those aren't just a few. I don't think that's just a tiny... It's a quite, a, quite a good pattern just with, with, with those few there. Yeah. But also, I think... The good thing about this is we have things like heart rate monitors, power meters, but we still need to do a bit on feel, you know, so you still need to 
once the warning signs are there and that is things like you know you're constantly tired like you could barely put one foot in front of the other I, I know it sounds really extreme but you're just kind of struggling through work and then you're going right i need to get this done you kind of, you need to listen to your body you need to listen yeah, to it yeah. um you know it 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 works in a certain way i know i know which way it works when i start to get a cold or flu and that is it starts to come in the th- it starts to to kind of manifest itself kind of nasally to start yeah. off with and then in your throat and you kind of go <clears throat> keep doing that all the time and what i have a tendency to do which has worked the last couple of times that i've done it is i just i overeat yeah. on on the evening but then i overeat with fruit as well massive amount of fruit so whether it be oranges at work for vitamin c um i have a couple of bananas nothing major with those kiwis you know pineapple i'm obsessed with pineapple as well and all that just goes in as much as i can as i can I can eat really yeah. and and for some reason the kind of next couple of days you still feel a bit groggy but it doesn't it doesn't then drop from kind of nasal down onto your chest it just kind of sits there for a bit and then kind of thinks no I'm not he's not having this so mm. and it's out and it mm. seems to work for me yeah. but yeah you've got to listen to your body I can tell when it's starting to come on mm. and then I just kind of back off and mm. and and um and either just let it take hold you sometimes you can't stop it but yeah and sometimes you know, you've done you've done the session without realizing you can't I remember we went out on a Saturday morning about a month ago, and I said, to you, "I just, it's just not right." Yeah, but it, but it right. wasn't. It's like was that oh. the one where you kept saying we were going too hard? Yeah, it was. I thought it would have been. Yeah. And I was like, oh, "This is no, this is okay." And I was just thinking, you know what? I'd had a really bad night's sleep. Um, uh, I sleep normally well, but it was just you know kids stuff. I was just thinking, God, I'm not, I just must be the sleep. And it was after that, but I think it wasn't so evident. I wasn't coughing and spluttering. Yeah. It was just like. Just not quite right. And of course, by then, if you've done a sizable chunk of something, it was still just under two hours. So it wasn't like I'd gone out and done four, but it was that, oh, I think I may have gone over the edge at that point. And okay, so it was on its way, didn't make it so I was bedridden. But in hindsight, I went, yeah, I can see when it happened, but it it didn't happen that morning. They went, oh, I can barely get out the door. What's the point in training? It kind of happened mid-session. And I sometimes find that, that you don't know till you train. And of course, on that route, if you do an out, you've got to do the back. back yeah. um, and I think to some extent, you've, you know, you can't stop from being ill. You can't always get a heads up. But the moment that you recognise something isn't quite right, you have to say, look, it is possible for me to get ill. Um I always get athletes to put like red on their diary. There are still some that will not do it because I think they think to be ill is to be weak. Yeah. Yeah, Instead well, of saying, no, it's, it's, it's much weaker, as these examples and many more show, that it's much weaker uh, long term to think that you were unable to control yourself when you're quite literally putting your... I'm not going to say your life online. I have known of an example where somebody put themselves in hospital on life support. They put themselves in, into a, a condition of pneumonia um, based on being unwell and just keeping going. And that's, you know, you've got to really question how, how much that person was not even listening to the signals. But I think this time of year, for a, a quite a few months, you've just got to acknowledge it is possible that you will get something... It's okay to have time out, and if you do get ill, look after yourself. But this, quite by chance, I grabbed a load of stuff, and we've been looking at it before um, we actually started recording. There's a few funny things that we've found. <laughs> it's genius. It's genius. <laughs> but most of it was just like, grab this for the for the podcast. 
I got a, uh, it's called a conference report on echinacea. And it's called Exploring New Therapeutic It options. looks like a pamphlet that you would get when you go to somewhere like Kew Gardens. <laughs> but it's not. Clearly. But it's not. It's not. Um, and this is, this is about the whole area of um, how, uh, I guess you could call it, um, a, a natural herbal product is trying to be um, sort of anti what would you call it, antiviral. And there's there's a study in here that's on about um, reoccurrences of, um, of of complications resulting from uh, respiratory tract infections, etc., etc. But this is kind of really strong science to show that, as with many people's, I think, practical experience, that actually something as simple as the echinacea drops in your mouth can actually help. It's not going to stop it, but it can help by assisting something that was known about by um, certainly the uh, American Indians hundreds of years ago. So it, it's known about and there's a bit of science. And if that was used just for those that get more colds, they might get less. Knock a cold back by two days, miss one entirely, just feel better. That could be one way of, of sort of beating it. You can't stop it. Um, that's what it's called the common cold. It's quite it's quite common, absolutely. <laughs> but this time of year, I think you look after yourself, and I think the people that responded to that article, I think, show that it's not. Yes, they were the ones that gave their examples, but we all know people that have done that, and therefore, if we all know people, and sometimes we've done, done it ourselves. Always. I was going to say we're probably more <clears throat> likely to have done it ourselves yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, and some, sometimes, like I say, you just you get something, and you just can't help that it turns um, a bit worse. Perhaps you just haven't got enough scope to really shut down and you get something and you just have to fight it while carrying on. You can't just say, I've got to go to bed for four days. Um, and maybe sometimes it's just that uh, there are more or less susceptible people depending on you know their hand hygiene. Um, I noticed the other day you were very uh, good with your uh, hand gel. I was, I was, uh, yes, cleansing. Not that cleansing. I'm a German, though, but... No, yeah. but little things, that's what they teach pro athletes about, you know, keeping germs at bay, making sure that they, you know, regularly wash their hands, particularly after, you know, going to the toilet or after shaking hands, stuff like that. It's not to be really paranoid, but it's just to take some sort of yeah. prevention. And um, nobody wants to be ill. It's not good to say, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, it doesn't bother me somebody will get it at some point and if you're training you don't want it to happen further on through the winter and into spring by which point losing one or two weeks or more can really disrupt you it doesn't ultimately stop you no. uh there was an example which um will be in my book in february by a certain athlete called lee Piercy, who got quite ill after a training camp and it took a long while, but by the following, so about four months later, maybe five months later, uh, he did his usual, you know, win his age group at World Championships duathlon. And yet at the time when it happened in March, it just looked like, blimey, this is going to really disrupt what's going on. And it does for the short term because it was quite a, a humdinger, but longer term, as long as you've got the patience and you work with your body, it's okay. It just depends on how hard it hits people. And I think there are people, for whatever reason, that get more ill than others. Well, and I think with the, with the athletes, as well, with being an athlete, being a fit person, is I've noticed is it comes on quick. 
comes on really yeah. quick. And of course, you sometimes you get that feeling of going, oh, I'm not going to be very well here. <clears throat> or it's just kind of you go home, have tea and go, oh, I don't feel too clever. And then, you know, through the night, it gets worse. Mm. You either have a bad sleep. And the, the worst thing is I've had, um, I've had, a, I've had the flu and it's, you know, man flu, call it what you want, the proper flu from the point of view of um, getting out of bed and blacking out everything. And I tell you what, that's number one, it's frightening. Yeah. Really. And, and, but number two is afterwards, about two, I had a week off after that and just kind of sat there and just took it easy and, you know, just, just went for, for walks, walking the dog, simple things. But I reckon it, it was a good three or four months after that mm. where you were still going, I'm still not overly clever with, yeah. with this, yeah. you know. Yeah. And that was my fault because I thought I gave it two weeks and just went, right. Let's crack on. Yeah. And of course, tried to get back into it and then the body was going, whoa, hang on, mm. mate. That's mm. you know, probably a bit too soon for that. But you, yeah. you typical athlete, again, like I always harp on about, you just bash your head against a brick wall, keep going, keep going. And it wasn't until I did a race where I got to the end and felt so ill that I was like, well, this is, I don't think this is going to work. And then had what, to... What, life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at all. And, um, and then just had to back off completely mm. and then just go and ride my bike for fun mm. and just kind of draw a line mm. under it. And yeah. it wasn't so bad because it was nearer to the end of the season, but you'd, I didn't instantly think, oh, all that training was for nothing. You know, I just thought, well, number one, I'm alive. Not that it was that, that, that desperate uh, a situation, but, you know, I've got plenty of time to kind of recover. Mm. Took that winter as an easy option just to, just to pedal on through. Mm. And then you come out the other end of it going, mm. oh, I feel loads better now. Mm. And then, then you then you feel the difference that your yeah. training's making then. Yeah. But yeah, as, as athletes, we're kind of, we're pretty, well, we're, we're pretty used to kind of destroying ourselves really. Yeah. And then smashing your head against a brick wall. Mm. But when it comes to illness, you, I'd, I'd always err on the side of caution yeah. and then just, just give yourself the time you think you need and then mm. a little bit more. And then mm. you're ready to go again. I'm, I'm stunned sometimes at how much training some people are doing right now. And I think it's important to just err on the side of, look, don't... Because if it hits you then, that's why you say, like, as an athlete, you go down hard, is that I think so much is already going through the system that uh, you get something and you haven't got any leeway. You're already putting so much through. That's it, wallop. Lo and behold... People just get, you know, really knocked back, proper, you know, like not being, you know, uh, overly uh, sort of, uh, what's the word, hyping it up. But, you know, they barely get out of bed. They they don't train for, you know, weeks. They, they can scratch off three, four months yeah. and say that was it. And it's like how much are you going to gain right now by pushing things to the limit? Uh, the off-season is the off-season. That's not to say you, you switch off entirely, but... Don't look to think nobody else is training. I'm going to get ahead of them <laughs> because we've all seen examples of people that are absolutely full on. And when something hits and it will eventually because they're ahead of the curve. And unless your goal is so much sooner than everyone else's, if you're ahead of the curve of everybody else, you've got to wonder Am I ahead of them or are they, all, over your shoulder, yeah, you? or are they all in the right place and I'm, I'm in the wrong place? And lo and behold, wallop and the the rate at which somebody goes down, the extent to which, um, I think the extent to which then you can see in hindsight, blimey, of course, look how much That's they were what, doing yeah. or look how yeah. they weren't, you know, you've got to look after yourself. Sleep is the is the real thing that seems to be able to do, you know, magic for your, your brain, for your body, for your capacity to just recover better. Hence, there's no surprise that the best athletes have some of the highest sleep figures because 
that okay that's their job they're looking after themselves but to scrimp on sleep is not clever it will catch up with you and it will affect your immune system so um yeah if you get the chance you can you know you can always um google 220 uh be like illness and racing or go to the um 220 uh, website and uh, look up the Q&A, but it will strike a chord, hopefully, with some people, because those examples, when they talk about, you know, months and seasons, strike a chord, look, that isn't as rare as you think. Um, it's a shame when it happens, and hopefully it teaches people something in hindsight, but it's a shame for everyone to be saying, yeah, I kind of knew that was happening. They were just so full on, and unless they're a professional, it's just not worth it because the, the, the gamble is is potentially so much more of a threat to everything that's going on. And the professionals always got the backdrop that they can sort of shut down and build everything around them because their training is the be on end all. Whereas for the amateur, it's not. And let's face it, I know there are some that think it is, but it's not. You are not paid by your training and then your racing. And most of us have got full time jobs as well. So, you know, you're, you're not getting the rest that you think you're getting, even if you get you go home and get your eight hours, nine hours <coughs> sleep, you still have to kind of get up and you're still working from mm. eight till eight. You know, some of us work eight till eight, seven till eight, you know, nine to five. Yeah. You know, and, and families after that eight as well. Eight till four, so. ten till six. Yeah, yeah. It's always yeah. All, loads of combinations. Different what about to keep the colds at bay? <laughs> this is genius. This I is love from this. January 1955. This is from called Health and Strength magazine. But little... how did you get these? Anyway? <clears throat> how did I get these? Were you, I was... were you given were you given that one when you first started uh, writing? <laughs> no, <laughs> i I look at I look at historical things sometimes to get things into context and to see yeah. sometimes how things are quite um, they're quite already in place before we think we've invented all these things. There's been lots of things already, um, maybe not as scientifically accurate, maybe sometimes a bit laughable in hindsight, but not often as far off as we think. So this was still, you know, 1955, was still 70 years ago. Is that right? <laughs> or was it 60? 60 years ago. There we go. Get my maths right. 60 years ago. So 60 years ago, okay? We're slightly <clears throat> I'm in the man on the front in his white underpants. <laughs> Actually, they're more like green. Oh it's like a muscle. God. It's like for, for muscle people. There's a bit on uh, the Soviets plan for uh, Emil Zatoplek, the most famous runner. His training, we'll do that at some point. It's quite good. But it's kind of like, you know, weight trainers, um, people that are, um, you know, into like lifting, you know, bonkers amounts of weight, etc., etc. Anyway, a great advert. Page 43, if anyone else has got the uh, January 20th, 1955 issue. Um, and it's called A Better Tonic Than Ever. And it says, uh, and, and Martin will laugh at this point, um, iron geloids now combine iron strength with essential vitamins. The new vitaminized iron geloids <laughs> combine a fully adequate iron dosage with a with the nerve restorative vitamin B complex reinforced with extra anurine, riboflavin, nicotinamide, and vitamin C. Um, 
It sounds like something you'd paint your fence with. Mm. So iron jolloids are now better blood building tonic than ever. These vitamins are not themselves of high tonic value, but also help the iron in iron jelloids to do them to do them more good than before. Anyway, it says it's for anemia, debility, lowered vitality, neurasthenia, loss of appetite, indigestion, paleness, and skin blemishes, breathlessness, headaches, susceptibility to common ills. Um, so rather what you get in the new vitaminized iron jelloids, an adequate amount of tonic iron, the essential factor in the formation of rich red bloods, rich red blood with maximum oxygen capacity. Now that's bang on, okay? Um, upon which health energy and the efficiency functioning of the whole body depend. Copper is added to increase the efficacy of the iron. And then it talks about vitamin B complex and vitamin C. And it says about the vitamin C, a deficiency of vitamin C causes a reduction in the absorption of iron by the blood. Well, that's bang on. Um, iron jelloids contain an adequate amount of vitamin C to ensure that the full benefit of the iron content is obtained. So does it, does it contain <clears throat> iron then? <laughs> Yes, it's the vitaminized, vitaminized iron jelloids. I think we better, I'm going to put a picture of this as one of the little logos that comes up on the podcast. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's How brilliant. much were they? Uh, they were uh, one shilling and nine pence and four shillings and six pence versions as well. <laughs> Unbelievable. And that's 1955. 1955, yeah, but it, you know, they're just talking about vitamins, of which now we're talking about... B complex. There are people that have had blood profiling. B complex has been the biggest finding of their whole expense, and they've been wonderfully enthused by the fact their energy has gone sky high. And they're like, "Wow, I didn't know I needed that, but boy, oh boy, now I know I do, and I've supplemented correctly." Full steam ahead. So you know they didn't know then that you would need a certain amount of iron. Nobody can just throw it down their neck just based on putting their finger into the air and checking the wind direction. So you've got to have science behind whether you need it but that was still you know first it made you laugh when uh, we should have caught your humor when you first heard it when i when we did it before we recorded it because uh, that was hilarious on to a question how about Ooh. that oh this is from andrew ackerley hi there joan crocker hi hi um great podcast love it picked up loads of great gems of information from it over the last couple of years is that ours or somewhere else? Well, thanks. I take it as a compliment. Oh, is that the end of the question? Oh, there we go. Thank you very much. No, bit of background. I'm 42-year-old triathlete, mainly now doing 70.3 uh, races as I slow down with old age. You're not old. 42 isn't old. Martin? <clears throat> I've represented Great Britain at age group level at uh, sprint and middle distance events. My last race was Lanzarote 70.3 in September, completed a time of 4.57. Uh, second in age group with splits of 34 minutes, 249 for the bike and 128 run. So, uh, yeah, they're solid. They're very solid for uh, for that course Very and very proportioned. Not something where he's gone OTT, so that's good. My issue is that I've just been knocked off my bike during a sportif in Mallorca and I've sustained a broken collarbone which has been pinned and plated. And this was sent uh, 20th of November, so not that long ago. 10 days, two weeks, two weeks. I suppose that uh, this is the best time of year for something like this to happen, but I'd already made the leap of faith and entered Ironman Austria, which is June 26th. I was looking to start my base training shortly. Also have Mallorca 70.3 in May as a warm-up event. I've been told it will be a couple of months before I can run or swim again, so how do I best maintain some level of fitness over the next 10 weeks? 
The pool I use has a constant depth of 1.2 meters, so aqua jogging is a possibility, though you'll still be hitting the floor. You won't be fully floating, so you'll be kind of partly aqua jogging. Uh, maybe there's a better pool, but let's uh, get onto that in a second. I have a watt bike for indoor training, so some advice the best type of sessions to do would be good. Uh, I have no problem with the boredom. I currently do two sessions, two sessions daily of 60 to 90 minutes, each at 60%. FTP or zone one heart rate. Two sessions a day of 60 to 90 minutes. Yeah. He's doing two hours a day to three hours no, two, a day. Yeah, two sessions. Two a sessions day daily. 60. Yeah. A day. Yeah, two a day. Two sessions a day. But that's, that's three hours a day on his indoor trainer. Okay. All right. That's, that's boredom right there. Doing the same <laughs> thing all the time. Sorry. I'm just like, what? What? Um, I've also uh, live local to the North Yorkshire Moors and have a border collie, so I'm doing a lot of hill walking to try and make the transition back to running not too painful. Thanks, appreciate your time, and keep up the great work. So, um, it's knocked off his bike and he's broken his collarbone, pinned and plated. So, firstly, there's the uh, there's a sense that the Watt bike will be keeping him stable so he can sit there and do it. Um, I don't think even right now, necessarily, I don't know, necessarily that you need to have to be thinking that you're on the bike for three hours a day. Because it says, you know, two sessions daily. Now, it doesn't say for how many days, but if he's doing three hours a day and he's doing that even five days a week, that's 15 hours of sitting on the, you know, sitting on the bike, which I just think right now is too much. And I don't think I'm lowering my sights on how much I think people should do. I just think there's a sense of when you've got to be ready for May, right now, by the time this podcast comes out, we won't quite be at the shortest day, but there's a heck of a lot of time. And I think what you've got to watch is uh, to get better, you don't always have to be the only person that sits there banging their head against the wall where other people are out having fun. Yes, you need to keep some conditioning up. The biking will help i think it's important to certainly throw in you know eight to ten second acceleration so you have some sense of not just doing um 60 of ftp which would be um yeah 60 of ftp would be you know a modest mid upper zone one ride but just to sit doing that all the time you're just going to have monotony of training after a while anybody is going to get to a limit, don't you think? So throw in some, you know, some rev ups and don't just think you have to do 60 minutes. Some days, you know, do maybe a longer morning one and do it fasted and then do a short high cadence evening one, just literally, you know, 100 RPM, low-ish wattage. So you can just flick the pedals really light and then get off after, you know, 40 minutes and say, right, that's it. Because to always do the same session, I think, anybody will just start to lose the plot and even when the when the <coughs> excuse me when the collarbone is fully fixed yeah you're kind of you're then a bit adverse to going on the tab again oh yeah i remember when i had to do this and mm. what, I, what i particularly like is that the frame of mind you can normally tell the frame of mind by the way that people write it and obviously um Andrew's put, um, he's sustained a broken collarbone, which has been pinned and plated. Um, I suppose this is the best time of year for something like this to happen. So he's accepted it. <clears throat> yeah. That, that he's accepted it, looked on the plus side of having something like this happen to him, which is, you know, luckily it's happened now and not, you know, touch wood, he's 
only broken his collarbone, even though it's you mm. know, pretty major. But, you know, the, the frame of mind is good there from the point of view of that he's looking at it going, well, you know, could have happened mid-season or mm. a week before the race, etc. Mm. So plenty of time to be able to to recover from it. And, uh, I mean, I, Joe, again, would probably be the... Um, will speak out from this, but you've still got to be careful when kind of you've had it plate and pinned. There's still a, a high risk of uh, infection and, and things like that. So, you know, you, it's worth keeping an eye on, on little things like that. And I mean, if you, if your training's got to take a bit of a knock, which it will have, hmm. you know, then, then, then so be it. But, you know, normally they're pretty good once <clears throat> pinned and plated. It's normally a good six, well, six to eight weeks um, kind of healing process, and sometimes a little bit longer than that. But mm. you just got to be careful not to move the and pins. Al- and also, place. also, you know, how do I maintain some level of fitness? Well, blimey, even if you were doing sixty minutes a day for for seven days a week, you'd still be maintaining fitness in your biking. You're not you're not looking to overly develop at this time of year anyway. So. Do you know what I mean? It's the, it's that sense that you're not, if you stop entirely, you go backwards and you have a lot of rebuilding. As such, you're on your feet with a dog, which will help your Ironman, because your Ironman, it's not going to be um, two lots of 128. Okay, the uh, course in Lanzarote isn't a super hilly course, but it's not pan flat. But you don't take your 128 and say, oh, that means he could probably just go under three hours of the run. No, you're not. You can probably look at a three... 2330 minimum therefore the pace at which you're running the ironman is slower the need to be necessarily um fast as such no you've got to be strong and you don't have to be strong to get to next june so right now we're not at the shortest day yours is at the longest day you've got a six month build i don't think you want to panic you don't sound like you panic but you just got to read between it about how much are you going to lose? If you sit on the bike, you're going to lose nothing because you didn't have a lot to gain by going out and training a lot. You've got the genetic ability, having been second in your age group, to go back and do that again. If somebody was 22nd in age group and had trained quite a lot, was quite meticulous in what they did, that's their lot. They can't get to second in age group just for saying, watch me now how hard I train. There were certain performance limiters if somebody's perhaps more overweight they lose weight and wow aren't i going quicker but when lots of people are training at quite a diligent level most aren't actually under training and that's why they get poor results or poorer results somebody that did not 457 but 557 of say the same age group um it's not that they probably didn't do the training most of the time it's that you haven't got the engine. So I don't think you want to worry. You've already proven at 70.3 Lanzarote, you've got a pretty solid engine. Therefore, uh, you can you can back off. You were looking, as you'd said in your comments about, you know, it was the, you know, uh, looking to start with base training shortly. You are base training. If you do, there's plenty of Ironman athletes at the moment I've got that, are, you know, base training is seven to 10 hours. And some it's on the lower end and some it's on the upper end. You don't have to be doing a lot more. Some people love their training and they do a lot more, but they don't need to be because it doesn't polish what you've got any better. It just doesn't make you that much better by, oh, he does seven and a half. I'm going to do 15. I'm bound to be that much better. No, you've got to do the 15s eventually, but not right now. Do you think we we as athletes kind of overcompensate when we're injured? 
to think, oh, I'm going to lose everything. Everything's going to go. Whereas really you can maintain what you have. I know you don't gain. But you can maintain what you've got by just doing your, your minimum um, at the minute. So, you know, yeah. even if it is, I don't know, three sessions a week on a on the Watt bike and, you know, maybe a long walk at the weekend, hmm. you know, just as a maintenance point, really. Yeah. So Because yeah. you, can't, you, can't, you can't really do the Ironman training right now anyway. So to be injured is okay. It's better that it happened now than if he did it in Mallorca 70.3 and then went, oops, I've done this in, uh, in May and I've got my race in June. Oops, that's too close. I'm not going to do it. So it's not about throwing yourself off the bike right now and saying, I'll injure myself now, I won't do it later. But it's happened and he's made the, <clears throat> excuse me, the kind of mental thing about what can I do? Possibly aqua jog, go take the dog for a walk. But I wouldn't worry that the training is is less than what it could be. But that could be sometimes is always more at this part of the year than it needs to be. And I would rather things got in the way right now, not necessarily broken collarbones, but if work, projects, building the extension, doing your, you know, your autobiography, whatever it is you want to do to get it in the way right now, do it. Because you don't want to do it in six months time and go, hmm. I'm trying to juggle two things now and that's not working. And then what happens is you can't do the hours. So I, I think you've got a good engine. You have time. You don't need to necessarily put yourself through um, perhaps as many sessions to try and make up for the total load of training and say, I'm not doing any biking, therefore, uh, sorry, I'm not doing any swimming, therefore I must do the biking to a greater extent. Otherwise, I'm not going to be doing the let's say 10 hours I would have been doing otherwise, it doesn't matter. As long as you keep the blood going, you won't be swimming. So that will have to start from scratch when you get your uh, shoulder mobility back and you start very tentatively. The only point at which you need to be capable of swimming at your best is in June. And by May 70.3, you'll be you know close to it, but you don't need to be in a rush. It's amazing what happens from March to April, April to May, May to June. But you start on the swim further back because of your shoulder. Yeah. However, it's only 10% of the race. Most people do not completely uh, blow their Ironman plans by being five minutes slow on the swim. Five minutes can feel like a lifetime on the run. And yet on the swim, it can feel, oh, I'm a bit slow. I've got out later than I should do. Well, you've got out exactly where you are and you can't do anything about going back in time. So this is where you're at. So I think it's all still potentially okay for Austria. You have to see how the mobility and the rehab goes with the shoulder, how much it affects when you can get back to running, because there's still the, the actual um, forces of going up and down that for a while can stop you from um, fully running okay. But you've got the bike, and the bike can be something that you can play around with sessions, particularly just you know revving it up, doing lower power, higher cadence, um, but not getting that... Um, hatred of the Watt bike because you've just done way too much of it. You don't need to be doing Ironman stuff till much later. And I know when people flick that switch, they do sometimes start to go at it. And um, I like the ones that come back a year, two years, for several years, and they're quite relaxed right now because they know what the bigger picture is and they don't go for it. They just sort of say, yeah, okay, I know what you got to do. I know when the big sessions are coming. And right now, 
I am going to have a Christmas. I'm not going to be obsessed with getting more hours than is necessary. I want to stay well because I realise that, you know, longer term, having a an okay winter is better than having a miraculous one. Uh, but most importantly, I'm going to look after my, my sleep, my admin, my brownie points, because in the future, all of those things will pay dividends. Not if I can do a miraculous 15-hour week, because that's not going to be what I can even look at visibly and say, I can see the difference was that amazing um, week. And I've said to a few clients about picking up a few Twitter feeds about people doing training and there's you know, people doing over 20 hours <clears throat> and they're not semi-elite. They're not doing results. That I think, wow, that's a good return on investment. I'm looking at it thinking, you just like your training too much. There isn't somebody to say, sorry, you can get much better results longer term. You don't have to do that. And although you'll justify it, you don't have to do that. And it puts, I think, pressure on other people to think, oh, I must be doing that much. No, I look at it and think, sorry, the return on investment for that, you cannot polish your jeans any more than they can be polished. And in November and in December, you can get it very wrong. Yeah. And hindsight <laughs> and some of these illnesses, maybe people, it was coupled with, you know, doing a bit too much. But it was certainly that they did that particular one or two sessions because they didn't want to let training go. And right now, being healthy and jettisoning the session and having a bit of cake and making sure you, um, you know, you don't put training first is very important because this is still the off season. It's not going to affect you next year. I, I love the um, the simplicity of the of the the world of time trialing because when you look at it, if you look at somebody's output for you know twenty two minutes, twenty five minutes, whatever. Year on year, that very often doesn't change. And it's not just people that I know because I'm coaching them. I know about other people. And you don't see miraculous increases. There might be a, a little inkling of watts, but it's more down to getting the intensity right late on in the day. It's not about what they did in a dark winter's Sunday ride. It's the longer term thing of, look, you've got to be able to put the effort in to push max. And I know that's a short... 20 to 30 minute discipline but it often shows that you could measure that person's ability six months earlier and say you'll do that prove that you'll do 10 percent more and very rarely people very very rarely will people ever achieve that and so when do you need to be at your best on race day how far away are you from race day seven eight months right relax yeah and and also with the question andrew with aqua aqua jogging which I find fascinating. <laughs> which I've seen, um, I've seen a few guys participate in the aqua jogging. And funny enough, um, when we were in Lanzarote, there was a Portuguese, Spanish, sorry, a Spanish lady that was there. Right. And she was just recovering from a foot injury, and she was, <clears throat> she was um, aqua jogging, which. I was absolutely fascinated. And I by. like to call it DWR now, deep water running, because aqua jogging makes it sound like you're a jogger. You know, and you say that to somebody that's running, or oh, do you jog? They'll probably, they'll probably floor you. I did exactly the same when someone asked me if I still ran competitively. I said, no, I jog. And they, they, they did went, oh, <laughs> oh, you jog. So this lady doing a deep water running. Um, I was fascinated by it because I, I was looking at it from the point of view of how was it, how was it a workout? How is it, how is it helping her? And she got out of that pool shattered. Oh, I, I'm glad you said that. And Great. I was just, I was just like that going. It can. And I, I did, I did like a, a mock-up kind of run, uh, aqua jogging or deep water, 
DWR, DWR. Deep Water Running. Um, and it is, I think I must have only done it for about 30 seconds. And I was like, oh, fuck, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to have to just wallow there, just kind of <laughs> flounder there for a bit. But it is tough. It is tough. Physiologically, it's measured to give the same training benefits as running. It doesn't engage the, the calf impact. muscles. Right. So uh, you'd, you'd probably need to, you know, particularly when people do it for an injury reason, particularly if it is the calf, you need to gradually get the calf muscle used to that propulsive burst that it causes in running but the rest of the body is actually doing what it does your hip flexors you know pulling your leg up your your you know using your arms to stride against the water and they're doing more work than they would normally so that's what can make you feel a bit more breathless yeah, yeah. and you know your leg is going up and back so yes it is hard work it does it does work and it's something different and when maybe you are less fit or i think when you want to combine doing training sessions, go to the pool and do deep water running. But that's slightly off um, off tangent. Off but um, Andrew, get back to us. Let luck. us know how it goes. And I'm sure if you uh, if you give yourself a, a little bit of uh, a longer term view, which you know where your goal is, it's a long way off. It's amazing how fit you can be. There's no reason for you to be any less fit than you could be. But right now, it's a generalisation, but I just think lots of people can relax and say, it's all right, don't worry. Just as long as you're not totally detraining, don't think you'll be untrained if you're not doing your best weeks. Best weeks are in the future um, and get confidence from knowing that as second in age group at Lanzarote 70.3, you've clearly got an engine that, well, only one other person had a better one. So you've clearly got a, a fairly good uh, gene pool. So as long as you train that right and you don't break it in the rebuilding phase of getting back to training, it'll be fine. Good work, that's a good question. Huh? Uh, another question, which actually was back in October. And I don't think that uh, we've read this one already because I'm not crossed on it or, or written on it or done anything was from uh, Jason Moncrief, do you reckon? Moncrief? Yes. I reckon. Uh, he wants to do qualification for the GBH group in 2017, so he's thinking ahead, very much thinking ahead. And he says, I'm sticking to the 80% of my training at less than 80% of heart rate max. Um, is there a volume of training below which this will not provide effective returns. I currently train eight to 10 hours a week and the depths of winter this may drop further, i.e. five hours. Would I then be better off up in the intensity as I have more recovery time? Uh, main aim next year will be a middle distance weighman. Um, right, so you probably fall into a, a category, Jason, that I think quite a lot of athletes do. You're around eight to 10 hours that you pick as your ballpark figure. That's perfectly adequate to do um, Weymouth uh, middle distance. When you say qualified GBH group, I'm assuming that you mean Olympic and next year you might be actually going longer distance or you might be GBH group for like the European long course or something like that. So I'm not entirely sure what the qualification is. But in terms of training, I mean, if you do five hours, I'd argue that there's no problem in doing a bit of harder work. I'd probably say strength training would probably be the way to do um, at least one hour or an hour 20s worth of work, you know, 40 odd minute sessions times two a week. Um, but this idea that because you're doing less, you can hammer more goes against the principle that really your harder sessions want to be later on. To do less fits in exactly with 
what we've been saying generally, which is it, it's okay. That gives you enough to, to tick over. And if you acknowledge that you're not trying to do your best on five hours, which would be pretty difficult, there are people that get okay amounts on six, but half distance they struggled because it's not, it's just almost like not enough to get them through. However, there are plenty of people that do 12 that they're just doing too much and they don't seem to actively up it and um, actively absorb it, sorry. And they up it more and they don't get the return. So they up it more thinking they need to do more work. So there is a sweet spot for each person. You may find it's different if you're moving up to mid distance for the first time next year that you just have to do some slightly longer sessions on the bike and some slightly more serious brick sessions just to get used to that five plus hour if you're at age group level i'm assuming therefore weymouth should take you between five and five and a half hours um and five hours in total this time of year is okay because as long as you contact the water the bike and your running shoes and i would say add on strength training that's fine i don't know that there's you know that there's a, a minimum with which you say it won't provide effective returns I don't know what returns people are seeing right now in terms of what, what do you think you're getting? And I think you get constant good technique, i.e. teaching your muscles how to be economical. Well, you don't you don't need a lot of training for that to happen. And you need to stop the rot and the rust. So as such, five hours, plenty of people drop down to five or six hours and they are not unfit. But what they are is healthy. They are able to really be motivated come spring and i think also they've they've just got the wider picture they don't set this i will always do 10 hours because i can't go anything less they realize that well at this time of year what i'm going to fight the elements and be better no i think the clever ones are the ones that you just see them they kind of almost disappear a bit they're always the heroes but don't you reckon there are people that disappear right now that you don't see a lot of riding quite so much yeah. and next year if we were, you know, going back to last winter, when it came to the summer, they still produced what you thought they might, but they weren't the king of December, but they were very, very well positioned when it came to crunch time. I, I think you have to accept you are not race ready. Yeah. It's pure simple. And yeah. you're never, ever going to be race ready because it's December. If your race is in December, then you should be race ready. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, you are right. We, we, we have guys that we know do a lot of training and they they go missing this time of year so you you kind of bump into them and go oh, i haven't seen you for ages well, you know have you been ill or anything yeah you ask the those questions they go, oh no i just i've done a bit on the bike and not really not really done much at all you know been out with the with the wife or been out with the husband or been out with the family and just uh i've just gone well i just quite enjoyed not really having to worry about it and like mm. you said their perspective then on on their racing and their training is fantastic because by the time I hate, I don't hate Christmas, but Christmas to me is just a, um, it's, I hate it from the point of view that it's, it's, it's it disrupts, kind of, you, it disrupts it? your rhythm, doesn't it? But I like the point that after Christmas, the new year, you're going bang, right. There's the line, you know, now we start the, we start the easy mm. hard work as mm. I like to call it. And you know, things are, the weather's only going to get better. The temperature's only going to get warmer. Um, and you know we can then moan that we've got warm rain instead yeah. of uh, cold. And I rain. think if if uh, if the middle distance um, Weymouth, which there was a just racing event this year that was in September, and I can only assume it's similar. If it is September, then blimey, 
you can see people between now and September, okay? They can train like mad. They can be super fit February, March, April. They start to burn out by July. And by September, they're already talking about what they're going to do next year. Mm. And so if you've got a September goal, you've got to be very careful not to be suffering from just get this over and done with. I'm just, I'm done with, I'm done with it. I just was, I peaked too early. I did a few too many races early on and was a bit too feisty. And instead of building to what I want to be my A race, everything was an A race. And I think that January to February, February to March, there's an incredible impetus you can get, not just from the fact it's the new year, but just the fact that the seasons allow you to train hard. But you've got to watch that you don't hit a premature point of high fitness and then suffer from just hitting the same mark time and time again. You haven't peaked. You've actually just stayed at a below peak point a peak isn't something that you sustain for the next five months a peak is where you come off you drop down you recalibrate you get ready to push hard and then you go up to the top and at the top if you're peaking by definition you've got to come down the other side so i think if he's got a weymouth peak he's got to do a few of those peaks along the way and therefore there's going to be some five hour weeks in the season where he cuts right back he does deep water running because his legs are sore from maybe doing a half Ironman or doing a hard half marathon or in some way causing more damage that you don't just go into the next week and say, I don't care, I still do 10 hours. And to ebb and flow, the most effective people I've always seen that they love the time after their peak races because they realize it's a time not to obsess about doing more training, but to let the body recover like a good interval. Do a hard interval. And then you stop and do your recovery. You don't say, oh, I'm going to get rid of the recovery and do the next interval. And it's the recovery that you get right that allows you to do the next interval. And I think with the ebbs and flows, Jason is right to know that he's going to be doing less now, but shouldn't worry that that less is somehow going to not give him the dividends. Because it could be that... He's got more time to um, think about his diet, make his, his... his kit and all the bits and pieces that he needs to be competing in triathlon and all the bits of training gear and the knowledge of what races he's going to do and what sessions he can link in. All of that takes a heck of a lot of admin. I mean, it's mind boggling how much it takes to get it right, not to just fudge through it and go, oh, I didn't realise that was on. I've missed that one. And Oh, no, I haven't got any spares because I couldn't be bothered to put them in. There are some people that do it haphazard and some people that do it, um, they do it, Every race is an A race. The best ones know when to switch off the A race mode and just turn up and have a crack. And then when they get to their A race, everything's been tried and tested and they give a performance that is at their absolute best. And then they're quite happy to go away and chill. With 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 um with Jason as well, he's, he has accepted that there will be some five hour weeks yeah. there. But like Joe's saying, if you're having it now, then you know it's not even worth you know, one minute of, of, of waking up in a cold sweat thinking, oh, I've only done five hours this mm, week. Mm. Just, it just, it's gone. As long as you, as you you're that far off from your, your primary objective mm. that, you know, if you're still doing those when kind of August comes and you think, well, I've done probably too many, too many five hour weeks, you know, I haven't done enough, then that'll probably ring true and your performance will reflect that. But mm. there's no point in going, yeah, but during December and January, it's all right, I was doing 25-hour weeks mm. because it's just not... You're just going to get to that point on the doorstep of your event and go, mm. I think I've done too much here. I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm absolutely green-crackered. Yeah. There, so. was, there, was a, there was a bit, and I think it, it was for 
an article somewhere. I don't it might have been two twenty, might have been peak performance. It was somewhere, and I just thought, what are representative amounts for each distance, roughly for you know, not the most obsessed, not the not the playing at being a pro, but the kind of mid middle but still effective hours. And quite a few people wrote in or commented by email, you know, thank the Lord you've put some sanity to the numbers that we're talking about. You haven't just made out, you know, that everyone's got to be, you know, or you've got to be Olympic distance or you better be doing at least 15 to 18 hours. Because you think, well, well, there goes the sport that's meant to be growing at a rate of knots then if you have to devote 18 hours. And it's not true. It's the ones that do that that obviously stand out, but they're not the norm. And I'd argue... Unless they are incredibly um, talented and managed, they'll actually just be great trainers and they'll never look at the return on investment and say, they put that in, oh, they got that out, oh, I thought you'd get better than that if you're doing all that training. And I think you've got to look at that. You've got to look at the point at which, you know, it's not who does the least, it's not who can shout about the most. It's who actually gets the most out of their conditioning, which isn't always about the training. He's got five hours of training. Well, that therefore gives him at least three hours of admin for his races, of keeping his kit together, of doing other things around the house and at work and all those other things to say, clear your decks and be well on top of stuff now. Because in the future, to get 10 hours done and still have a bit of leeway is the best way to recover. Because we went back earlier about the sleep. Mm. You know, people that can sleep and relax between sessions get so much more than the ones that, you know, are trying to train really hard and meanwhile their sleep is pants often because they're worrying too much about their race and their training and everything else and the best athletes they relax and they train and they work and then they relax and then they train and they work and it's all a nice flow i call it the switch point it's almost oh do you now switch take a take a note of that listeners it's called the switch point i call it switch point it's from when you know you do some big weeks and then you do you kind of certify your, your block of training that you've done or you get your training diary, you look at it and go, oh, you know, I've, I've done quite a few hours this, you know, this training block mm-hmm. or this winter. And then you look at your results and go, oh, actually, I, mm, I didn't really do very well on that one. Normally I'm quite good at that one. And, you know, either your results are slightly off because you... And then you can akin that when you go back to your training diary and go, well, I have done like probably six hours more a, a week for the last four months but my still my you know my um my results don't reflect the, the what i feel the effort mm. and i think even in your head you kind of then go well, maybe i've probably done a bit too much there mm. and then you look back through previous things and go, well i did really well at that race and i kind of i was only doing you know three hours less than than i did this year so mm. why well, you know why did why has mm. that happened and if you if you can if you can kind of quantify it by looking through a training diary, mm. um, I don't know, your computer programs, you can link that up obviously with your heart rate power, et cetera, mm. et cetera. I think you can then look at the balance and go, oh, right, yeah, I see what I've done mm. there. You know, I've switched jobs there or, mm. you know, family time there and did less there, a bit more there, and maybe that works for you. But I, th- I think people don't look at their training diary sometimes and go, Oh yeah, I see what I did there. Yeah, mm. kind of, mm. you know, instead of doing a twenty-five hour uh, week in um, in in December, I I just split it down into kind of five hour weeks through mm. the month, mm. and that seemed to work better for mm. me. I didn't get ill, you know. I still was busy at work, but now I'm ill. I have to do one week in December, and I've got to have two weeks off. Yeah. And yeah. there's certain ways you can look at it and quantify it and and break it down if you look back through previous 
um, transitions through training. And you could just, sometimes when people go, oh, yeah, I just had a really good year that year. That, that mm. sounds a bit flimsy mm. for me. You know, you kind of look back through and go, oh, actually, that's the reason why I had a, a really good year is, you know, my, my training was bang on. I was building. I didn't do too much in the winter. You know, work was steady. Work's been steady this year. So, yeah, it's... I, uh, I think the training effect is more... Um, it's more of a fixed benefit ratio than people realise, i.e., if you put in this, you know, you could only do six hours, I could only do six hours, Jason could only do six hours. Uh, no matter how hard we trained or whether or not we could eke out another one hour and you did seven one week and I could only do six, we'd still get to very close to what we've already got. And I think it's it's almost as if there's a return that you'll get and I term it talent shines quickly and that's not to ever say that you know everybody else you me and most people listening included oh well we're not talent what should we bother no it's to say don't think that somehow you're going to outdo your genes and do it differently this year you've got to be more careful of the threats to your sport that are to do with your your work your relationships your knee your back your immune system whatever now i've got um i've got an athlete that i've been working with for quite a long time and he's getting back into it after um uh sort of his family's up to two kids now and it, it changes the dynamics of what he's doing but this guy's chris and i'll and it just came to me then, I'll give you his data, which is not bragging for his data. It's just saying, look, this is the effect that training can have if you quantify it, but also what happens when you've got an engine, you're either going to train it and you'll get the results or you won't. And what he does, which I'll give you numbers in a minute, I can't do, and, and not many people could, but it, he isn't trying hard to do it. It's just the response of his body to training. To so his training, yeah. yeah. Okay. And he says, um, beginning of November, uh, this is for his overgeared efforts. I was hitting 136 to 143 um, heart rate, uh, 300 watts at 60 revs. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, it slowly went down over the month to 124 to 129, and it's now 121 to 124 beats. So 300 watts, 60 RPM. Okay. Uh, noticing similar improvements in the pool and running. In particular, I'm finding that I'm making big, capital letters, improvements in the deep water running, which is really crossing over onto the bike and to the runs, uh, much more than I expected. Okay, so this chap's only been back in training properly five to six weeks. And it says, um, you know, numbers of the, uh, they've really developed over the last uh, five or six weeks. And that's a training effect not of anything special it's quite a small amount per week it's shortest sessions it's not out head banging four hours against somebody else to try and get a training effect it's all turbo based and deep water running and uh combining that with swimming because it just saves um run time and just saves his body getting beaten up at this time of year but the response is a close to 15 to 20 beat drop okay and this is happening through, you know, 
roughly late September through to late November. Okay. Right. So it's off season. So it's going against the flow. But because he hasn't been training, he's responding anyway. And those numbers are going to improve further. So when we get the other side of, of Christmas and start to go into the new year, it's going to be over 300 watts and it's still going to be at 120 beats. Okay. Now, we haven't worked hard to do that. We've just said, let the body adapt. Let it do, yeah. And if somebody's confident in their zone one and isn't trying to put a quart into a pint pot, then they'll get good paybacks. So he's relaxed about it. He's not training huge volumes. Uh, I haven't got the numbers to hand, but um, if anyone wants to pick me up on it, I can tell you how many hours it's been. But it's not like... He's this, you know, 20 hour a week person. He has done that before for Ironman training, but right now he's not. He's only doing 19. <laughs> 19, yeah. But to me, it sort of, it proves in a, a, a slightly different direction. Look, if you put the training in and you've got what it takes, that's the kind of numbers that you get. And Chris has been um, under nine hours for Ironman and has been, uh, he's been sort of, close to breaking four hours for um, for half Ironmans. But the training effect isn't because he goes out and he's the one that is doing five hours on the turbo right now and is, you know, he's, he's actually very much sort of like, right, keep it down. Really make sure you get back into this very easy. Okay, I'll do this just to do, do that amount, you know. Oh, I can't do, I can't do 200 watts. It's too easy. It's like, well, okay, just do a little bit more then because then at least you get your heart rate over 110. But... It epitomizes keep it in base zone, do some overgeared work just to stimulate the legs, but that is still only don't think three hundred is his threshold. It's not even close. <laughs> so well, it, I know who you're talking about, so is it yeah. is easy enough. So it's yeah. it's like look, that that is working at a percentage that is sustainable for seventy point three. Okay, so it's sustainable for over two and a half hours. So these overgeared things are just part of um Part of just sort of keeping a bit of tension there, which you don't get indoors if you just sit there and flick your legs around, which is great because you get really good suplex in your legs, but you don't feel what going out against the hills can give you. But you can get it just in the sweet spot that overgeared work at the low cadences keeps the heart rate down, but gives you strength training indoors. It means you don't have to go to the gym. It means you do get a variety of, of, of a type of session, which... Um, uh, could be quite useful um for andrew we were talking about his sort of you know sat at 60 percent ftp he's better to do some sessions at 90 percent ftp at 60 rpm and grind it but even though he's close to ftp or threshold as most people would know it the low cadence is going to keep the heart rate down and it'll only be little blocks i think it all points towards look we cannot all train to be at the same level we've got a limit uh, most people, it's measurable in, in some facet as to where the um, glass ceiling is. But the great thing is actually being encouraged that you can have an off-season. You can learn the tricks about, um, don't say the word tyres, about various bits of your bike or your wetsuit or your run shoes or your mountain bike or your whatever piece of equipment you use. Because to optimise your equipment and how to use it, gets the last few percentage points out. But 
It isn't down to the fact you were the only one doing it for 20 hours on Christmas week and everybody else that had Christmas is a loser because it doesn't work like that. <laughs> rather harsh. But no, it's not. But, you know, yeah, some, I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah some people just kind of think, oh, yeah, well, I was the only one doing that. It's like, okay, great for you, great for you. When it comes to race day, people's potential is more out of their control than they realise because if somebody is given, like Chris a set of genes, what somebody out there that says, no, 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 I'm going to be as good as him. Okay, try doing those numbers and see what happens. You're going to be above threshold. You're not going to be at 120 beats per minute and you're not going to be in anything but the um, hospital in about six weeks' time because you cannot sustain that. Mm. And although you do it, we, we can't all be put into the same, this is how much you have to work and you all do 300 watts. You know, yeah, that's possible for 10 miles, but... I don't think I've ever done it for 25 miles. No, um, no, nine, nine watts short. So I don't think I'm sloppy. I just haven't got what he's got. But it's getting the most out of what you've got. And it's making sure that in the process, you don't get to events or just get halfway towards them and say, I'm already done. I'm all, you know, or inside I'm already done but I'm going to show everybody that I can still get that extra 10% that actually isn't there anyway well that's what you're saying you know with your you, you may be nine watts short but that doesn't mean you'll then go and train another 15 hours a week to try and get that nine watts back because you're guaranteed that you'll you'll get to that point where you'll go well you know he's just either you know the genes are what they are yeah and it's not to say don't try I no, think no. Some people, sometimes people think that that you say oh well, well we shouldn't try because we haven't got no it's don't try and impose firstly on your body something that um, breaks you because training has to be a very subtle case of taking you to your peak when there is a peak, not seeing how long you can sustain something that is to all other people looking on going to be unsustainable. And then afterwards say, yeah, but they just, you know, they became their training. They couldn't do anything else but do their training. Training should go in ebbs and flows. And there's good illustrations. I saw yesterday there was an article, uh, not an article, a, a research paper on, uh, it was one of the top female uh, marathon runners of the 80s. And it gave all of her training diary. It, you know, it broke it down in a, actually 70s, it broke it down in, in a phenomenal um, amount of how much zone one, how much track work, how much per year, what, what, her coach who I think was her husband what they were doing and it broke it down brilliantly it may have been Ingrid Christensen uh, but it was a great article because what it showed is kind of how much how much work was done in the in the zones but also it was her job to do it so the little increments that were tweaked and the fact that she was running uh, I think she was running like about a hundred and thirty kilometers per week Ooh. very roughly yeah yeah um, but you know, that was her job. That's what she known by. That was how she broke world records, and that was how she became, you know, a, an icon. But to see into that, and to realise that, lo and behold, the majority of time spent was about three quarters of the time spent was in zone one. So that tells you know everybody out there. Look, if you know your zone one, then three quarters of your week should have to stay in there, or you're going against what everything else suggests is the best way to train. And it's not to say there isn't the hard work bit to do, but if you don't get the easy bit done, and some of your easy is hard, you're already taking away that twenty five percent 
because you've already gone into those wells. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You've got to do the 75% to earn the 25. You can't do, oh yeah, but it wasn't quite in zone. And some people's steady needs to be redefined by what did the heart monitor tell you? No, not, not when it doesn't work and it somehow was lost or that wasn't the session that seemed to have any heart rate data. What does the, um, the best measure of how hard you're working, what does it tell us? And although the stuff on this particular female athlete wasn't based on heart rate data, it was based on speed and there was a, a, a really, you could see succinct knowledge. She didn't need to run any faster than, you know, there was often, uh, there was like 10K runs, you know, 10K morning run in, you know, 40 to 45 minutes, you know, easy jogs, 40 to 45 minutes, done. They go, job done. Now, some people listening, they haven't even done that as a PB flat out, but this was a pro athlete and that was base work. And that was logged and that was logged again in the evening. There was another one the following morning. Oh, lo and behold, here's one of the quality sessions. But it almost done three or sometimes four sessions at least of base before there was any sense of quality. So there was always this sense that they were kind of putting the time in the bank before they iced the cake, then putting the time in the bank and then icing the cake. And when you put it like that, it makes it more obvious from from the point of view of, like you said, the 75% work and then like the, 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 the cream on top. You can't just go, oh, I'm going to do 55% of that. Yeah. Just, that's all I'm going to do. And A bit then, like Jason just... just said, you know, I'm doing only five hours, how much should I do? Well, if, you know, if, it's, if five hours is 300 minutes, then 240 of it at least is, you know, is done four hours. And you might have one hour of hard work, but that was me earlier saying, do that strength training. If you can only do five hours, and that probably sounds like you don't want to do it, you perhaps don't want to fight the elements, therefore do two strength sessions, do the four hours of, you know, you could do deep water running and swimming, so you can be time efficient there. You can do a run off the bike, you can be time efficient there. And then you can do maybe, you know, even if you do a 70, 80 minute constant turbo, that's again time efficient. You don't have to do a lot to get your four to five hours done, but it fits into the philosophy of, look, still think about most of what you do, because that's what they showed in this, um, in this sort of data and in data recently on uh, marathoners and, and track runners. And the marathoners were slightly higher. They were over 80% was in zone one and the track runners, it was about, I think, 76%. But again, it fits into this idea that this three quarters or thereabouts is what we think of as the best, but they still had quality work but they had quality work on top of a big base. Mm. And if people look for short ways to get fitter, you can do more work at higher intensity, but you're not actually getting a better payback. And I think also, if you're not, if you're not doing enough hours, it's really hard to do the hard work. I find it much easier to do hard work when you're doing more hours, because you've got a bigger base on which you're laying it. Yeah, Whereas if yeah, you yeah. thought, you know, literally day on, day off, hard day, easy day, hard day, easy day, You'd be you'd be flummoxed because there's there's too much um, there's too much intensity before your body's fit enough. You kind of almost take you take it out to some extent before you've put enough back in, and you don't enjoy it. It's it's not an enjoyable kind of hard session where you turn around and go, oh yeah, you know, I, I'm quite looking forward to doing another one of those after I've you know done my kind of a bit more kind of base training. You just go, I don't want to do another one of those. But no. you do your base training and get it done properly, then go to do your hard stuff. And you're like, oh, right, yeah, that, that, that was more enjoyable. I can yeah. feel myself yeah. recovering. I can feel myself getting stronger. So yeah. that was a good, uh, good group of questions there. Yeah, I think so. And I think they, um, 
it's not it's not meant to be what questions can we um, do to to prove a point. I think there's common themes in keeping healthy, um, making sure you know how much training you need to do in the right proportion of the week and the right proportion of the year. And if you get those things right, I don't think there's any um, surprises with people's performances. There's sometimes surprises that they got things wrong that were practiced and should have gone right, or that particularly in the long distance, you know, some of the very long distance cyclosportives, the Ironman triathlons, uh, or multi-day events where you're not quite sure what's gonna happen because they're going into a bit of an unknown. So you're not quite sure, you know, in a in an ultra run of, uh, let's say, you know, 100 and something miles. Really what's gonna go on is not so obvious as, right, Martin, you're gonna do, you know, a 5K run. We reckon you can do this, 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 and this, right? That should put you at, you know, uh, 1905 or plus or minus because you, you you can work it out whereas with the long stuff it's a lot more right if you get it right in theory physiologically you this can is, do this yeah, yeah. But, <clears throat> and there's not really surprises where somebody goes wow how did you go an hour faster than what was on paper i mean it it's it's the fictitious things i think some people think might happen but no you can look at the numbers in many of these sports and you talk about uh it was somebody I know as a trade contact. We both know that sort of, you know, um, quite funnily always sort of says, yes, yeah, in the numbers, Joe, it's all in the numbers. And it's kind of like, yeah, to some extent, you, you see this very much with the, the time trialists that, you know, they kind of know each other's numbers. They know plus or minus what they're going to do and roughly what the course. And it could take some of the um, some of the haphazard, enjoyable bit about triathlon where somebody can have a pants swim, a superb bike, and really hold it together on the run and have a great day. But if you asked them at the end of the swim how it's going, they'd say, I'm just about to give up. But by the time they finish, they say, brilliant day. I had ups and downs and highs and lows, and it was great. And that doesn't happen in some sports that are down to, down to the numbers. Down to numbers, but yeah. But the numbers rarely lie to the extent that somebody pulls something out of the bag that is just not explainable even you know even given that people would like to do a good race i think most people know realistically what they should be doing and there are only a few that just set numbers that you just think i don't know i don't know how the hell you think you're going to do it you've set it as a goal but that don't mean it's possible mm. just because you set it as a goal so i'm going to do x well okay yeah do do even do even that over half distance and prove that it's even possible for that distance and then start to say, oh, well, I easily did it over half distance. But you can't just set a goal time or set somebody in your crosshairs and say, I'm, I'm going to get them if it's so much ahead of what you've done before and you've already been trained. Because if you've already been trained, probably most of your potential has been visible. You know, there, I know there's some people that, that, you know, pop up and suddenly start training. Everyone goes, blimey, they're really good. They've suddenly come on. But most people that are particularly in the 30, 40, 50 age band, they've done a lot of their physical development. So if they've been training at it for two, four, six years, there's not a lot of surprises there. There's got to be something really wrong with their physiology or their pacing or their nutrition or their, you know, or their lifestyle to suddenly jump up a performance level. Load, yeah, and you look say. back, you know, effective people, Chris earlier with his 300 watts at 60 RPM, semi-pro rugby player, you know, people that have quite good performances. And you say, well, what have you done before? Oh, yeah, I, I rode, 
you know, a road for my uh, university or whatever. There's, there's some people that didn't like sport and they crop up and wallop. They produce results that are, but hey, that's great. You should have been doing this earlier. But most people, their trajectory is what we can see from before. And there shouldn't be, and that's where, you know, you can see it with the biological passport with pro athletes. They can see where somebody's lines are. And the, oh, wow, that's quite a, yeah, that's, that's a surprising result yeah. is always, you know, code for they're doped because it's like, oh, that's a surprising result. Or where did that come from? That is quite amazing. And that's just code for, hmm, we don't think that makes that, sense. That one looks a bit that odd. That looks a bit yeah. odd. And, and most amateurs, there are still amateurs cropping up, you know, left, right and centre that are being found to uh, dope, to win sportifs and all manner of things. But hey-ho, I think the name's in the uh, title, dope, really, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of, you know... If you want to do that, then yeah, you're a dope. But I think most people, it's trying to optimize what you've got. It's trying to enjoy the process as much as the end product. It's trying to see along the way that you don't want to have your blinkers on and miss the great people around you and the great things that you can be doing. But that doesn't get in the way of people that do great goals anyway they actually do that the ones that do it right are as balanced as you like they still have great goals but they're the ones that can quite happily live with themselves if they don't quite get it by five minutes and then there are others that i think they i think they are very troubled souls i think they have to prove themselves beyond all question of doubt most people don't doubt them and don't think that they're a bad athlete and don't think that actually don't think that they are going to set the world on fire but they would acknowledge them more if they were just a little bit more relaxed about it. Well, I think so. You know, I think you, you, know. you are right there, yeah. Um, but it's, it's a, great, you know, a great time of year because we've got Christmas coming up. We've got another podcast we're going to do soon so we can get one out for early January. Um, there is another podcast that uh, Henry's working on as well to go out soon. And I think it's a, you know, it's, a, it's a great time to actually look at your goals, look at where we are in the year, in some people's cases, certainly take a bit of time out. I encourage my athletes, you know, to not to cancel Christmas, to make sure that they do, you know, eat, drink, be merry and recharge and make sure that we realise we're in the low ebb of winter and you don't have to be, you know, the, the only hero out there. I think the best day ever to go for a run is Christmas Day. If you, can, if, you can, if you can squeeze yourself out yeah. at the front door and nobody else is, you know, up or listening or is uh, comatosed after their Christmas lunch. But no, early on, it's such a quiet day. That's what I and did. it's lovely. Yeah, I get it's out lovely. early. So still still out at <clears throat> six on Christmas Day. And it, it's beautiful. It's lovely and quiet. And anyway, what do you mean Henry's working on another podcast? Oh, oh you've been... T- oh, let's see what's going on here. <laughs> Actually, you've been cheating on me, Joe. <laughs> Podcast cheating. Yeah. Unbelievable. 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 So thank you very much for listening and downloading this podcast. Questions via the... No, you're not going to have any more out of the uh, Cyclist magazine from 1938, which will give uh, some some background... some little background uh, ditties next time. There's a man putting a tent up in there. Yes, I know. What's that going to do with it? Well, it's all about... Back then, it was all about cycling with, you know, brush up your campcraft... And uh, there's even there's even a great advert. You can see where they were in the 19, uh, 19, wow, got- 1938 era, where there's an advert um, that says, no mistaking Craven A, quality and smoothness. And for the younger ones out there, Craven A's were cigarettes. <laughs>
cycling magazines of the 1930s. Um, so, reviews, questions, follow the Twitter feed, follow the Facebook page. There's also at South Fork Racing or South Fork ATB. At South Fork at Safe Racing. Fork Racing. Yeah, yes. At Fork Racing. Yes, you can always uh, Google that. We will be uh, back in a short while. Thank you very much for downloading the past podcast. It was over a month ago when it was put up. It's still in the top 10 in, in triathlon podcast. So thank you very much for, for listening. We love your questions. It's great to, uh, to uh, sit here and um, try and uh, think about how to help you, how to point you in the right direction. And uh, if you can point us in the right direction, um, we'd, we'd happily take oh, your yeah, advice. Definitely. Thank you very much. Train smart and you meant to say have fun. Have fun. Merry so, Christmas. Let's, let's try that again. All right. right. Sorry, sorry. <clears throat> so remember, train smart and have fun. We wish I'm you not a singing. Merry... I'm definitely not singing. Hmm. Sorry. Okay. And a happy, happy new year. year.